I'm Cassidy Hall. I am Kevin Johnson. I'm Carl McCollman, and we are Encountering Silence. Encountering Silence is made possible by listeners like you. Please visit www.patreon.com slash encountering silence. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash encountering silence. To learn how you can be part of the circle and share in our efforts to bring silence into our all too noisy world. Joining our circle of silence today is Allison M. Sullivan. Allison is a yoga instructor, a writer, a speaker, a mom. She is a podcaster of the Sinner Saint Sister podcast. And the list goes on of her many accomplishments. She lives in Bryan, Texas with her husband and her five children. She's not only a yoga teacher, but also does ministry work among college women. She speaks at various churches and somehow manages to write in her free time. Her first book is Rock, Paper, Scissors, God's Mighty Power, Jesus's Covering Forgiveness, and the Snipping Refinement of the Holy Spirit. It is a book about one woman's journey in discovering the beautiful heart of God by the way of playful, intimate, honest, and real portraits of everyday life. In her collection of personal essays, she weaves together her unfolding story. Cassidy, Kevin, and I first met Allison through the Sick Pilgrim Writing Collective online. Allison, we are so happy to welcome you to Encountering Silence. Thank you so much. What a sweet introduction. I'm so glad to be here. Cassidy and I have been threatening to interview each other for quite a while now, so glad it's finally happening. Right. You still haven't got me, though. <laughs> It'll happen. The seal has been broken. It will happen. Cassidy, you will now have a karmic debt. Yes. So. <laughs> exactly. Well, Allison, uh, we, we love to begin by just um, inviting our guests to share maybe a little bit of their story, particularly in terms of silence. Yes. So we, we wonder if you could share perhaps a memory of an encounter with silence or a moment in your life when silence first became meaningful or important to you? Sure. So I was, I'm an only child, um, but I was raised in a very active, boisterous home. My parents are really just hilarious people by nature. My mom, when she meets you, is going to leave red lipstick on your face, and my dad's going to give you a hearty slap on the back. But because of it being really just the three of us growing up, I do have um, I did have more opportunities to find solitude. And I had this very, it's not really a memory as more as it is a set of memories, but I was at the community pool and, um, you know, you have your loud splashing neighbor friends and that feeling of being underwater and this intensity of meanness. And it's like that outside world had the volume turned down and my inner life had the volume turned up. And it was, I remember being very intrigued by that, just the, the a very acutely aware of my aloneness. So I think that um, that has come to mind like in writing and um, just, 
as I've kind of tried to pursue it and make it a discipline that has come to mind several times. So I think that maybe that was my first memory. It's really a poignant kind of moment there. And, and, and really I'm kind of impressed at the power of that It's a simple image, right? But then noticing as at a young age, the distinction of self and other in such a powerful way that you don't feel mm-hmm. uh, trapped in yourself. And yet it's right. like the way you just described it, it seemed like an opportunity or, or a wonderful right. chance, right. you know, some people will say, Oh, I feel so alone or feel so trapped inside myself. And the, your description here seems to be much more like you're open. Well, there's an and both to that because uh, when I, when I think about that, there have been times in my life and deep sadness or solitude um, that I have thought, oh, I feel so underwater right now. I feel as alone mm-hmm. as that moment. Mm-hmm. And then there are other times, you know, you know what com- um, confounded the experience, I think, is the, un- the inability to communicate. You're unable to communicate. And so really kind of sitting in that discomfort and getting comfortable with that discomfort, you know, and it is, mm-hmm. you're right. It's an opportunity. Mm-hmm. I also love the visual of just of water. And a lot of times we talk about the deep, the deep dive into oneself and silence as a meeting place of, of who we are. And I wonder with your experience with that being a good and a bad thing, has it remained a place where you've come to know yourself and come to meet yourself? Sure. You know, especially, you know, as a a writer and a creator, um, and, and really as an introvert, (laughs) um, it's become something that I, that I've needed and something that I've enjoyed. I feel a little more hardwired to find it. And, you know, I have this evolving definition of what silence is, which you guys facilitate. So I appreciate your work in that. But where I think before all silence meant to me, was just an absence of noise, you know, just kind of this literal silence. But now as I seek it out as a discipline, whether it's in an effort to know myself or create or get needed time as an introvert, um, it's more about a search. It's not necessary. And that can happen within noise, of course, but it's a posture. It's a searching posture of my heart that asks the question, what do you have for me here? So there's an asking and a receiving or a searching and a finding of silence. I'd like to hop off that idea of searching and just uh, look at, obviously, your your formative experience as an only child, where it sounded like, you know, silence became a trusted companion for you. Mm-hmm. And now you're a mom of five children. <laughs> and and that's that's a little different experience than an only child. There's experience. some juxtaposition there, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, one of I, I run into this with some of my students and my retreatants who will often say to me, you know, I cherish, I seek silence. I cherish silence, I seek it, but I've got a house full of kids and I just don't know where to find it. So I'm curious what, you know, how how you have been able to to cultivate your silence in the midst of your family life and what advice you might have for other moms or dads who um, have these vibrant families. Right. So not only am I an introvert raising a big family, but I'm an introvert raising a big family of extroverts. Mm. 
I mean, I used to, I used to just hide in closets they didn't know about, you know, but as they've gotten older and I've been able to communicate a little bit more about what my needs are and, and what their needs are. And we try to, you know, facilitate each other and keep a happy house. I do have set aside time. It's been important to me to wake up before them. And for a while that was really hard, you know, when they're up all through the night, that, that wasn't really a possibility, but I do feel I'm in this merciful time that is after toddler and before teenager that. <laughs> right. And um, <laughs> yes. that I can um, that I can really kind of create good routines and waking up before them, like I said, has been important. I do have a prayer closet that I retreat to and they know that that's kind of my space. Um, and, I, and, you know, it's by invitation, but they are welcome in there with me. But, um, you know, there are times that I'm able to effectively communicate now. I really you know, I need, I need some time friends. And then, you know, and they, they see me like flat out and I'm on my face and they're like, okay, mom is doing her thing. And so, and they know, you know, (laughs) (laughs) so, so yeah, you know, we just take care of each other. And and then, you know, me having to ask them, am I loving you well? Because a lot of my tendencies aren't their tendencies. A lot of their tendencies aren't mine. And so asking that question, am I loving you well? Is there any, you know, what do you need? Cause here's what I need. What do you need? So it's, it goes both ways. Yeah, that's so lovely, too. To, how simple a, a move, right? Just to ask. Ask your kids, how am I doing? You know, like, you don't, yeah, think, you don't think to do that. It's just a simple move. they will move. tell you. Oh, they will. <laughs> yeah. Yes, they will. What, I, what are the ages, um, Allison? So I have five kids. My oldest is nine and my youngest is four. Oh, my Lord, help me. How I, is that possible? I appreciate, thank you. I appreciate those affirming noises so much. Uh-huh. It's either... Either like oh or <gasps> <laughs> I I can do both of those, but right now I just feel the oh my lord, how can yeah. that happen? <laughs> yeah. What what happened is that the first two are just these very docile creatures by nature. They they just pop. I mean, God just made them how they are, and they popped out so peaceful and, and and relaxed. And so I would just throw them in the back of the car, and we would go states away. And my husband and I just thought we were such excellent parents. We were like, what is all the fuss about? And so then we had our third and our fourth, and we're like, oh, okay, if we're going to take credit for this, then we have to take credit for this. And they're just louder by nature. That they're they're equally delightful, but right. they are just um, a little, you know more rambunctious. I joke that my son, it's like raising a bouncy ball. And so, um, anyways, so we thought if, you know, we can't take credit for both things. It's like the God just makes it. But I do think that if we had reversed the order, would we have five kids? I'm not so sure. (laughs) So I just, I want to transition over into, um, yoga, your yoga instructor. And, and when we talk, we're talking now about, you know, silence and family life. And I'm curious about how silence is implemented into your practice as a yoga instructor. I mean, earlier you mentioned the importance of silence and and being creative and writing and whatnot, but how has it impacted your work in yoga? Yes. So I love yoga. And for me, yoga is, um, it's about creating space. And there's, there's a diagnosis, I think, that's inherent to silence. There's an examination that is inherent to silence. So silence plus safe space that is my desire um, for my yoga practice. And so I, you know, these women gather in a warm, safe room and we lie there under the tender gaze of a father who loves us just as we are. 
and we bring our strengths and we bring our weaknesses and we thank him for the strengths and we kind of shrug our shoulders at the weaknesses knowing that our sin does not make us unlovable and we just lie there loved and we and then in that safe space we can get rid of the pesky thought that tells us that we ought to be somebody different and we just come again the next day and do the exact same thing but this in this diagnosis in this safe space it allows us to I know how we're doing. How are we doing at this living thing? How are we doing at this communing thing? Because it's hard. It's really hard. And in that examination, we can create this kind of checklist of sorts. And you can you can go through whatever it is that you're up against and you can be like, okay, I, I'm under this thing or, okay, I'm on top of this thing or, or take our emotions, for instance. Like, okay, I, I'm really kind of rocking in this one, but gosh, I'm, you know, I'm feeling some anger right now. And it just allows us space to feel what we're feeling and kind of look for lights flashing on a dashboard. We can engage with our emotion. Emotions aren't bad. They're there to engage with. It's when we stuff them under that they start to take sinister turns. I mean, buried things stink, you know, but <laughs> I think that when we try to avoid these things and in, in what is probably a self-protective measure you know, because we can think, oh, that emotion's bad. I don't want to feel that. But in this warm, safe space, we can engage and then we can have this very full embodied life. Because I think what can end up happening if we're not careful is that we end up lopping off the intensities of our emotions. And I firmly believe that when we lop off what we think is bad, we're kind of keeping ourselves from what is also deep, deep joy. And so in that way, these air quote negative emotions, which I don't believe in, they, they kind of pave the way to joy in a way. And so, and then you add the moving component of breathing and the science of oxygen and stretching and all in music. And it is this very full bodied experience of life, of living life well. So here we are talking about yoga and yet the language I'm hearing from you is deeply Christian, and we know yoga is not yeah. Christian. So I think I'd like, I'd like a little bit of the background of how you see that and how you balance that together as a Christian and, sure. and how you came, maybe how you came to yoga or how you came to these conclusions that you just beautifully articulated. How does yoga and Christianity work oh. for you? So I, you know, God, as the great creator, created our bodies and created music and created, like I said, the science of oxygen <laughs> and uh, the wonderful things that that does for us. He created our emotions. He created all of these things. And, you know, when I, when I set out to do this, it was actually, I was in a small group. It was a little bit awkward. It was probably about three women and then a nun. And she was leading us in prayer and she had prompted us to take some deep breaths together. And that's awkward in a small group when you're sitting knee to knee, right? But what she was, as we inhaled, she was saying, breathe love in. And as we exhaled, she said, breathe peace out, breathe love in, breathe, breathe peace out. And the sister, I mean, it reminded me of my yoga practice. And that night I thought that I made up Christian yoga. I was like, now, wait a second. <laughs> we can incorporate this breathing with my Christianity, with praise and worship music, with some scripture and prayer. And we can call this, 
I don't haven't named it yet, but husbands start Googling. And it turns <laughs> out, <laughs> it turns out I did not invent Christian yoga. There is a branch of yoga called Yahweh Yoga. And I went and got certified. And I just really wanted to do something more than just bring people into aligned poses. It became really important to me to help people on a path of self-discovery and, and then frame that with a God who loved them. And I wanted to encourage people to reclaim their bodies that are fearfully and wonderfully made and to kick aside any, you know, harsh criticism or unkind judgment because you were a creation that the Lord called good. And I just, I thought that there was something really important as we live our lives day to day about embracing with calmness right where we are that day. And, you know, so, so I went and I got certified and, and it, it really became this, this expression of living life well, um, more than it was anything about exercise. I, I think it started as that because I wanted to lose some baby weight initially. But when I decided to get certified, it was about helping people live life well. And, um, you know, yoga people weren't happy with all the Jesus and Jesus people weren't happy with all the yoga. But, um, you know, I, I finally found a place that, you know, allowed that to kind of safely coincide. And for me, it's a reclaiming, uh, you know, what the creator made in the first place. So no, that's lovely. I mean, and I don't disagree with anything you say. I just kind of wanted to hear what you said. I mean, it makes sense to me as a Christian, an embodied incarnational religion would have something. And, and Christianity has always had body practices. So it makes sense to me. Yes, but I was, I was, I, because I, I, I initially wanted to teach in churches and I was showed to the door very frequently. And so, you know, I think that there's a great deal of caution there and, and that used to frustrate me, but my more spiritually mature self says, you know what, how could I possibly know what the Holy Spirit might be telling them to be cautious about? How could I possibly know that for someone else? For me, it's healing. Yeah. That's beautiful. The three of us on, on Encountering Silence tend to be pretty radically open to constructive interfaith dialogue. But yes. I had a teacher Agreed. many years ago, yeah, many years ago who said, because this came up at the monastery where I'm I'm an associate, that there was some some monastic associates who are very uncomfortable with yoga and even uncomfortable sure. with practices like centering prayer because of their affinity with zazen or with transcendental meditation. And so this came up and, and we had one teacher, a very conservative, traditional Catholic, and she said, some Christians are called to interfaith work and some Christians are not. And it would be very helpful if we not judge one another. Sure. And that was such mm. such a freeing moment for me because it mm -hmm. allowed me to be the kind of interfaith-friendly Christian that I am, and at the same time, allow those for whom that's not their call. Right. Well, it, I tell you what, you know, for a long time, I had my dukes up because I felt defensive about it. And so I had some really smart alecky, um, you know, comments about how, okay, so it, it, is the fear that someone's going to accidentally fall into another religion because worship is, you know, pretty intentional. So, mm -hmm. so if, if it's that we accidentally come into this pose and accidentally convert to another religion, should we quit kneeling too? Should we quit using beads to pray? Should we quit doing all of these other things that other religions do? And then with some maturity and some kindness and some work on the Holy Spirit um, on my heart, I, um, I've come to what you're talking about, which is, you know what, if the Holy Spirit differently gifts us, the Holy Spirit might also differently convict us, and that's okay. Yeah, well said. 
Yeah, I, I love listening to the way your brain works when you talk about yoga and just the excitement and the elation of mm. of providing that space and providing that silence for people and allowing them to be whatever they need to be in that moment. And I'm curious, you know how you always get the best ideas in the worst situations, like you're showering <laughs> and you, you, you wrote your novel? Um, I'm wondering if that, does that happen for you? Like, does yoga and writing merge for you ever? Hmm. Um, a little bit, but it's, it's not quite accidental. Like what you're talking about. It's more that I need to prepare this lesson and there's something unintimidating about writing a spiritual nugget versus I need to sit down and write a chapter. So Mm. when I'm thinking about writing a yoga lesson, there's, there's a, a calmer invitation into that process, which allows things to flow a little bit more freely. And then the next thing I know, I can attach this and attach this and attach this. And I have half a chapter. So, mm. um, so a little bit in a way, I don't know that I've ever thought of it like that, but yeah, that does happen. Allison, how is silence part of your, your writing process the, these days? Someone wrote that it might be Julia Cameron. She has really great language yeah. for writing, but I, this might be her. And if it's not, I apologize for whoever it is, but they were talking about how writing is so often either chasing words down or pulling them out. And so allowing that discomfort, because when you're kind of frantically trying to catch up with what's going on or whether you're kind of, <laughs> kind of forcing things, you know, to come, Uh, what silence does, what space does, what that seeking heart posture does is it allows me to be a little bit more comfortable with the uneasiness of both of those. And I have found that my favorite things that I've ever written have kind of seemed to write themselves. (laughs) It's like, you know, it's kind of when I get comfortable with both of those sensations, that's when, when I can release that discomfort I don't know, because it's still uncomfortable. But when I can just be okay with it being uncomfortable, that's when the words just kind of come. I'm I'm certain that my my pursuit of silence has has everything to do with, with that process. Our conversation will return after this brief moment of silence. Please take a breath and be present in the silence. I love your book, Rock, Rock, Paper, Scissors, and specifically hearing you talk about this, this infiniteness, this boundlessness of God. And, you know, we often talk about the boundlessness nature, I'm sorry, the boundless nature of silence. And in your book, you discuss how you say our titles and artificial groups might temporarily fix our loneliness, but so often our desire to align ourselves with something forms boundaries where none were intended. And how have you experienced this both I mean, across the realm of all the topics we've discussed, I mean, Mm. family life, yoga, writing, um, how have you just encountered that? And it's clear in your speaking and in your writing that you keep coming to that place of, of the infinite, you know, love of God, the infinite capacity Mm. Mm -hmm. uh, of the Holy Spirit and all these things. And Mm. just wonder how you've experienced that. That's such a beautiful question. 
Yeah, thank you. I um, how much bigger is the God we serve than the God we think we serve? <laughs> right, like He's just so expansive. And when I wrote what what you just quoted, I I what I was referring to was our desire to belong. You know, it's this very biological thing. We need each other to survive, or at least we used to. <laughs> As our culture becomes more and more autonomous, though, I think that our efforts to belong can become more amiss. And so, you know, we we might create groups that that exclude others because it makes us feel more included if we can just set a few more rules, you know? So we sit at a table and then we get to decide who we're going to lengthen it for or who, or who we're going to shorten it against when really it's our job to sit at the table. It's our job to sit at the table and to invite people to sit with us and tell them how lovely it is. Amen. <laughs> um, and so, because it's just not our table. So, you know, I, I think that the, the truth in, in that instance, as far as the expansiveness of God is that you are not ever going to look into the face of someone and see someone who God does not love. And I like, I'm, I'm talking about all this and I'm trying to think what in the world it has to do with silence, but I think this is it. You know, God has done the big thing. God has done the hard thing. And it's our job to remember and so like, I'm sitting here all fired up because I feel fierce about this and I'm on my soapbox, but I think that creating space to remember, we are told so often in scripture to remember, and you can't do that for us. That's our job. And so there are so many times that it's easier to dismiss someone or to follow my, my judgment, which is always impeccable, right? Um, um, about someone. And then remember that this isn't about me. This, this life, this is not just my story and how I'm trying to fit God in. This is God's story. And I have a small part of it. And the, the deepest rut of addiction is self-addiction. And so I can so easily make this experience about me when really every single person that I'm going to ever come into contact with is made in God's image and he loves everyone. And I can either remember that or not. I can either create space to remember that or not. It's totally up to me. You know, you're you're bringing up a, something that we often talk about in the podcast, which is uh, toxic silences, mm -hmm. and the fact that you know mm -hmm. si silence isn't always necessarily healthy or useful. And I know in your podcast you've talked a lot about um, these kinds of things in different ways. I know you've addressed racism, white privilege, you address all kinds of things in in your podcast, um, Center Saint Sister. And what insights have you learned from silence's shadow side? Those times where we don't speak up and say. Hey, come to the table. You know, those times where we're not yeah. open. Yeah, that's really, I love the shadow side. That's beautiful. I've, I've heard y'all say that before and I think it's gorgeous. Um, yeah, you know, certainly there's creating a table with the same noise that you're used to, the same voices, the same people who don't teach you anything about yourself, who just affirm who you already are. And, you know, the way that we were just talking about, um, creating circles that you're comfortable in is certainly a, is silencing. That's, you know, silencing in, in, a, in a very toxic way. There's that. And that mm -hmm. might be in a racist way or a sexist way or a homophobic way. And, and we can certainly close ourselves off to others and the gifts that they have and certainly create the wrong, wrong type of silence. But also, you know, th this might be a shift of the subject a bit if it's okay. But we talked a little, we touched on this a little bit, but I, you know, being sad or feeling lonely, I can sometimes have a tendency to retreat in a, in a, in a silent way that I'm not sure is healthy. So maybe I, I think this is different than what you asked, but, um, I think it's important to distinguish when silence can become avoidance, 
whether that's avoiding a certain type of person, where that's avoiding a certain type of emotion, silence can be avoidance in my life for sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm not so sure that that is different from what Cassidy asked. I, I think you just linked it completely. So there's the avoidance inside and then there's the avoidance in the exterior as well. Sure. In, in either sure, way, yeah. it's avoidance. And, and yeah, that's the shadow yeah. negative kind of side, you know. Mm-hmm. And and it's interesting that you point that out. I think you said that even at the beginning when we first started, when you're talking about in the water, there's the sense on some <laughs> level that yeah. there's times that it's an invitation yeah. and then other times you feel like you were afraid and scared. And, and so yeah. here you are, how silence can play one of those roles, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting. How did you, how did you come to be a writer, Allison? <laughs> Doesn't every artist feel like an imposter at some point? Um, but I, you know, it's funny because when I was a kid, I wrote people's love letters when we were in elementary Aww. school, when we were in junior high, I wrote their breakup letters. <laughs> I mean, did you, I did you can, charge. Yeah. I, I should have. <laughs> That's should've. so cute. Listen, you give me the Jolly Ranchers out of your Halloween bag. And, but, you know, I, you know, I, I absolutely loved that. I mean, I can construct a hella email to this day. Somewhere along the way, like, I just didn't call that writing. You know, I, that it was like, oh, you can write a love letter, you can construct an email, you can, you know, write a scathing review. Like, how's that writing? But it is. And <laughs> I had this very um, telling moment. And I will, I, this will forever be my answer because it is 100% the truth. I needed to go get a root canal and I'm in the middle of raising all these kids. Right. And I have to go get a root canal and I'm, I'm lying in the dentist chair and I'm terrified of the dentist. You should know. And I, um, I put my headphones in and I turn the music up as loud as it'll go. And they lay me back. And like Rachel Ray was on the TV. There was a TV on the ceiling. I was not expecting adult entertainment. And I, I mean, there is somebody you know, in my open mouth with like rubber gloved hands. And I am literally with my music playing, watching Rachel Ray's caramels set. I had this thought that, well, this is kind of (laughs) nice. And then I became, I was so disturbed at myself. I'm like, wait, wait a minute. Getting a root canal should not be enjoyable. This is a sad situation. And so I realized I need to go home, stat, and create space in my life for the things that make me feel more me. This became a desperate situation all of a sudden. When I realized that getting a root canal was like a spa, like a me day, Wow. Okay. then I need to go home and I need to do something. And my husband was so precious and supportive. And he said, whatever you need, whatever it is, we're doing it. And so I just carved out, I carved out time to do things that made me feel more like me. And I realized one of them was writing and I didn't care if it was any good for the first time. I didn't care if it, if, if, if it wasn't for other people, it was for me. So tell me that the origin story of the podcast must be just as exciting, right? Well, hmm, let's see. I think I, so I live in a college town, like we talked about earlier, and I love college girls. I think they're the perfect human. They're young enough to not, to know that they don't know all the answers. And then they're old enough to have, you know, decent thoughts. And so I know that they're not really perfect, but that's just the silly stuff. Like the real stuff, I just think they are 
absolutely precious people. And so they're on my couch a lot. And they had told me for a long time, you need a podcast, you need a podcast. And I didn't know what that was. I mean, getting on Skype, you guys was, was really tough for me. And so I didn't know what a podcast was. And I, I certainly didn't think that I could create one, but I got on an exercise kick where I needed to run turns. So Cassidy, you get your ideas in the shower. I get mine while running, which is so unfortunate because I can't do anything else but breathe while I run. I mean, I'm concentrating so hard on, on breathing. So anyways, while I was running, I had decided in order to ease the process, I was going to listen to this podcast and I heard one for the first time and I thought I can do this. And so <laughs> I literally sat in my closet in the floor of my closet. I still record in my closet and with my phone and I made a podcast and it's my favorite mm. creative thing that I do. Mm. I absolutely mm. love it. Mm-hmm. I don't want to speak for Kevin and Cassidy, but but I suspect they would agree with me that we are all three just surprised in such a good way at how much joy we've taken out of doing doing encountering silence. Mm. You know, yeah. and it's funny. You know, your your root canal story reminded me of something that certainly has been true in my case, and that's this sense that I. I create because I feel a need to create that somehow, mm-hmm. you know, somehow if I tried not to create, it would be like trying to hold a cork down at the bottom of the ocean, mm-hmm. you know, it would just mm-hmm. pop back up. Yeah. And, um, and so I think we all, you know, had this desire really to, to speak to the importance and the beauty of silence in our lives and by extension in, yeah, in everyone's lives. And then suddenly we're just in this amazing conversation with so many amazing people, you know, you now part of that circle that have so immeasurably, again, speaking for myself, deepened, deepened my sense of mm-hmm. not only of silence, but also of prayer and of the creative mm-hmm. process. And, um, you know, and, and I, I so appreciate, you know, we had Kevin's brother on a little while back, but also <laughs> you, Allison, this, you know, talking about the relationship with silence in the body. I think this is something that is a major cultural blind spot. Mm-hmm. In, in our in, in our society and also among many Christians. And so this is something I hope we can all, you know, take a closer look at is, you know, where does silence live in our body? You know, and maybe that's a question for you. Do you have any thoughts? You know, where do you find silence actually in your body? Right. You know, I think that there is that big pull to disassociate and I, and I think that it's it's certainly a part of my my Christian experience, the mind, body, spiritedness of it all. But you know, I think about that word linger, the word linger, and our, our culture doesn't allow for that, does it? I mean, we are constantly trying to achieve more, process more information, cross more things off of a to-do list. But I think that linger is so connected to love. We cannot linger over that which we do not love. We cannot love that which we do not linger over. And when it comes to our bodies, and maybe this is you know sensitive with women in particular, but I don't know that we love our bodies. And so there's that desire to disassociate. And I, my, my desire with this yoga and in this full-bodied experience of life is to bring it all back into one being in a loving way, in a way that lingers and loves. It's so lovely to think. I, I, I think you're dead on uh, there. I love the idea of paying attention, you know, a loving mm-hmm, attention. Mm-hmm. This the, uh, linger really loving, has this. Yes. And, and, and I think you're right. I think we, our culture, I don't know why 
why we yeah. have this kind of quasi Gnostic approach in our culture, but that we just right. we don't like bodies very much. Right, right. Uh, there, there really is a sense that we are supposed to like suppress our bodies, and we're supposed to do things. I don't understand. I I agree with you. I, I I get that sense too. So I think you're onto something there when you say it'd be lovely to you know just be able to say yes to our bodies. And and I I certainly can't speak for women, and I imagine what you're saying is certainly true for many women, but I think it's true for many men as well. Mm -hmm. And my wife and I are yoga practitioners, and, and we take a class together, and it always amazes me. We'll go in, and there's 50 students, and five of them are men um, on a good day. Some days right. I'm the only man in the class, and I wonder, yeah. you know, well, where are the men who are taking care of their bodies? Right. Now, in, in, in fairness, you know, we do it at a gym, and there are guys in the gym who are, you know, pressing weight and, you know, taking care of their bodies in other ways. But um, but I think that's that's a significant issue. Since I've been been practicing yoga, my prayer life has improved. Sure. And yeah. And I think that, you know, that there is a significant gift that that kind of discipline gives us that we can't get any other way. So, um, you know, so that's that, again, I think it's just a major blind spot. You can go and you can bench press. And in many ways, I think, you know, working out with, with weights, with resistance training, it's, it's an aggressive way of working out. And, and I'm all for pushing past your limits. But what I love about yoga is that it is a befriending way yeah. Of working out, yeah. you know, it's, yeah. it's a, it's, it's a way you, you mentioned lingering. The word that came to my mind is cherishing, mm. Mm -hmm. you know, that I, that I cherish my body as, as I do the asanas. And I, I wish that we lived in a culture that was gentler and more tender in how yeah. we, how we interact. I love that us. word tender. That's been important for me lately. You know, there's a, um, there's a love component to linger, but there's also a time component to linger. Lingering takes time and we don't have much of that, do we, <laughs> you know? And so I think that when it comes to the word Sabbath, mm -hmm. let's be honest, we're only getting Sabbath if we're sick, That's you right. know? I mean, it's kind That's of right. this, this forced Sabbath. And, and by the way, if you, I just said this recently in my podcast, but, or it came up in a conversation and actually my guest said it, but she was talking about, I mean, truthfully, we're all kind of hoping for that sickness in a way. It's like, can I just have a good excuse to do nothing? And if you are hoping for like just the right level of sickness, cause we don't want to be too sick, you know, but, um, but we want to be sick enough to have no expectations. Right. And if you are longing for an illness, you are in desperate need of rest because you know what our Sabbath is, is scrolling. That's like right. that's how we, that's how we check out. That's how we, how we get rest. And, you know, when we look at if you know, me as a Christian, I'm, I'm modeling my life after Christ and he slipped away all the time. You know, he would, he had a, a keen eye to know when things were becoming too much and he would take them to a quiet space. Mm -hmm. There's that, but he would also slip off himself all of the time. Now with the sink full of dishes and a, and a bunch of kids, I can't slip off into the mountains very easily, but I can absolutely slip onto my mat for a couple of minutes and, and you know, do a little practice, but Sabbath. So, so anyways, the components of linger, we have that love factor that we're a little you know, opposed to, but then the time, the that's time right. factor, our, our culture is averse to both. Yeah, that's right. And, and, and it's funny, you said that uh, your, your uh, guest says we're hoping for a little sickness or, or we could rephrase it based upon what you said. We're hoping for a root canal. Oh, yes. Yes. 
perfect. Thank you. I mean, that. that's yeah. that's exactly what you, you basically discovered Sabbath through the root canal and said, this is ludicrous. And then you, you had to change right. things. Yeah, we're all kind of, I agree with you. I, we Scrolling is our Sabbath. Uh, binge, binging, uh, you know, Netflix or YouTube or something is, is, sure. is also. Yes. Yeah, I agree. I, it's, it is, it's a time thing. It's about attention, you know, and, mm-hmm. and you can only give attention to something if there's time. So, mm-hmm. so I'm curious is that then who, I mean, you've already mentioned Christ. This might be the answer, but maybe not. If we often ask our guests, who is their silence hero? And well, I mean, you guys, you guys, does every guest, uh, when you ask them this, I mean, every guest is like, y'all, <laughs> duh. I mean, honestly, Cassidy has, has taught me a lot, has taught me a lot. You know, I, I had the pleasure of reading a little bit of notes on silence. And that was a really mm. fun process for me to go through her work and her essays and her thoughts mm. and look at it in a new way, for sure. That has molded me for certain. Another one is when I create, I really... Um, I think what I initially thought is that it would be some osmosis happening, but I play Gregorian chant Mm. and I thought I'm going to, I'm going to put on some Gregorian chant and I'm going to come to some deep, deep spiritual truth. That's what's going to happen. Like by osmosis. And, um, and so, you know how, you know, you, you form attachments and the scent of pine means Christmas and the scent of your mom's perfume means the babysitter's coming or, you know, whatever. Yeah, right. so there's like, you create these attachments. And, um, so one of my attachments to creating is Gregorian chant. Allison, I do want to do at least, at least another, um, shout out of your podcast. Cause I'm hoping that people will yeah. listen to this and just hop over and search for you. Center Saint Sister, your your podcast, and you guys are in season three right now. If someone was new to your podcast, where would you suggest they begin? I mean, is episode one, I mean, a season one, episode one about answer? I mean, I'm no. just obsessed. So one thing that my podcast does is it's a celebration of friendship. And so I, I only invite people on if we're very, very good friends. And so, um, I'm obsessed with each episode feels like a baby to me um, because I adore each person and the journey that they've taken to, to talk about whatever it is we're there to talk about that day. Um, I will say that, you know, I was using my iPhone on the floor of my closet. And so, you know, season two and season three have a little bit better sound. So, (laughs) but I do, I guess I do have some, um, while I love every episode, there are some that feel like really weighty. And so mm-hmm. as a weighty person by nature, I love um, the racial reconciliation episode. I love the divorce episode. I love the episode about women in our bodies. I love conflict and friendship. That ended up being a favorite. Um, grief was a big one. All of this, we, I've done two episodes about sex and those have been widely distributed. So yeah. <laughs> sex sells, you know? Yes. <laughs> so how many episodes are per season? I do 12. Okay. You, do so 12 you, episodes so you, per season. Cool. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like a, uh, like a Netflix. You've decided to follow a Netflix kind of season or something. And it gives a season to my life too. You know, it's, um, you know, there, there's, there's a beginning, there's an end, there's a break and it's just really working for me and my mm. family, and my friends. I love it. Yeah. That's great. You're working on a new book. You know what I'm doing right now is a lot of speaking. So the book has opened up to a lot of speaking engagements and I'm doing a lot of writing for those types of things. And with school starting and the babies being away for a solid chunk of time, I have a lot of ambitions about, 
a gospel reimagining with women of the Bible. That is what I would love to do. I have learned a lot of lessons in these last couple of years about not being too fixated on outcomes. Mm -hmm. It's really about the process and I enjoy the process and I love what I'm doing and I love my life and I love the spaces that I get to create and whatever God chooses to do with it is kind of his business, not mine. I'm just going to show up day after day. (laughs) Before we wrap up, I just want to say something, and I know it's going to be several weeks before this podcast is released, but I still want to say this, that on the day we recorded this podcast, Cassidy Hall released the trailer for her forthcoming her forthcoming movie, and it's called Day of the Stranger. Is that right, Cassidy? Uh, Day of a Stranger. It's, it's, it's my directorial debut, but my second film with Patrick. So, but it is from Transcendental Media. So, Davis Stranger is based on the title of one of uh, Thomas Merton's most beloved essays, which was called Davis Stranger, which was a response to a Latin American journalist who wrote him asking him to describe his day, um, a typical day living in the Hermitage. So, and the trailer is just beautiful, it's contemplative, it's inviting. Of course, part of what she's doing is uh, sharing some of Merton's recorded reel-to-reel tapes that he recorded while he was living in the Hermitage. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah, yes. there's nearly 150 hours that he recorded from within the Hermitage. And, um, and, that's in our estimate. And you've been given access to these and permission to share some of these in your video. So so this yeah. this at least based on the trailer, you've juxtaposed this beautiful, deeply contemplative uh, visual footage of Merton's Hermitage and the path to Merton's Hermitage uh, with this truly fascinating audio commentary from the man himself. And so I thought that the trailer, was itself a very enriching experience. And it just makes me so excited for the movie itself. So I really want to just give that kind of a shout out to Cassidy and and mention to um, the Encountering Silence community, if you guys haven't already seen the trailer, go see it. Well, I'll put a link on it in the show notes for this episode. But yeah, it's, it's great. Yay. It's thank wonderful. You. Yeah. Amen. Thank so. you. Allison's seen it too so excited and thank you so much allison for your 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 passion your joy your um commitment obviously to your family to your practice Mm. to your craft it's it's just really been a delight oh thank you you all do such important work i'm a big fan thanks for having me it means a lot Thank you for listening to the Encountering Silence podcast. If you enjoy our ongoing conversation about the beauty of silence and its meaning in our lives, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or at our website, EncounteringSilence.com. You can subscribe to our email list at our website. Connect with us on social media, on Twitter, at SilencePodcast, or on Facebook at Encountering Silence. And please visit www.patreon.com slash Encountering Silence. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Encountering Silence to become a patron of this podcast. Your financial support will allow us to continue creating new episodes 
and spreading the message of how vital silence is to our social, spiritual, and physical well-being. Thank you.